0: new beginnings, yeah. isn't that a great weekend? Yeah. Students, you guys awake? Yeah. That's a no, there will be a long crash this afternoon, I'm sure. It is such a privilege to be here with you this morning and to partner alongside this incredible church in the gospel all weekend long. You know, my, my ears have heard, but now my eyes have seen the tangible goodness of God from New Beginnings Church. So many people over the years, countless friends have testified to God's grace here. And I can't tell you what an honor it is uh, to proclaim Christ with you all this morning. And a a huge thank you to Pastor Todd. I so value your strong leadership, your bold leadership, but more than anything, your gentle submission to the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for that. And I've been blown away at the staff Uh, this weekend and especially the student staff with Kyle, Creed, Caroline and the Gilmer crew who have expended themselves for the sake of the kingdom this weekend. And truth be told, they're probably gonna look like zombies today. So if you see them, give them a good, just shot in the arm of encouragement, but thank you to you guys for your labor of love. I'm gonna jump right into it. We're gonna be in Colossians chapter one this morning. And as you turn there, just know that uh, I'm gonna be reading out of the ESE translation. Uh, many of you might uh, use uh, a different version. Uh, there's all kinds out there, KJV, NKJV, uh, NIV, at and KFC. So whatever it is that you guys are rocking, just know that's where I'm gonna land uh, together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. The Bible says, Now I rejoice, How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word, amen? Amen. You know, I think for us to get a better grasp on the text this morning, it's gonna actually help us to examine the surrounding context. I would keep a finger where you are because we're gonna jump ahead to chapter two and essentially approach this passage a little differently. We're actually gonna work backwards within the passage. And I'm gonna jump right into it. Here's the first observation we see in the text. Jesus is the most precious How precious, you might ask? Well, you can jump ahead to chapter two. You'll find in verse two, it says that Jesus is the knowledge of God's mystery and he's the riches of full assurance. And if you read on to verse three, you'll find he's the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. And Jesus is so precious that the apostle Paul is careful to instruct the church in verse four. He doesn't want them persuaded by any other argument. The truth that Jesus is most precious is actually echoed throughout the entire book of Colossians. Chapter three, verse four says that when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, New Beginnings, Christ doesn't just give life, he is life. That's how precious he is. The truth that he's the most precious is also consistent with the rest of the New Testament. I mean, John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the what? The life. That's how precious he is. He's so precious, the Bible goes on to say, he's the only way to God. The truth that Jesus is most precious permeates the entire Old Testament. Look at the psalmist with me. Chapter 145, verses five through seven. It says, I will meditate On the glorious splendor of your majesty and of your wondrous works, men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Last year, I had the privilege of doing premarital counseling for a young couple, eager for their wedding day, as I'm sure you can imagine. Pictured behind me is Sam and Gabby. Gabby used to be in my youth group back in the day and she asked me if I would perform the wedding for her and Sam. I never met Sam, so one of my requirements was that we would connect a handful of times to walk through how marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel, how it resembles the marriage of Christ to his church, how it's a miracle, it's a union performed by Christ reserved for one man and one woman. I wanted to walk through the gospel with Sam and Gabby to ensure they understood the commitment they were about to make to each other that they knew it wasn't their love that was gonna sustain their marriage, it's their marriage that would sustain their love. And so right off the bat, I come to realize, I can tell Sam is wrestling greatly with some things in his life. And it seems like God had already been kind to start pursuing him, to start wooing him. Reminds me of how C.S. Lewis describes his salvation. He says, the hound of heaven ran me down. What a beautiful picture of the relentless pursuit of Christ. And in our first meeting, in tears, Sam gave his life to Jesus Christ. And and immediately, you can see that that Sam just becomes consumed with Jesus. Jesus is so precious to Sam. And a week before their wedding, I had the honor of baptizing Sam. Jesus is clearly the most precious thing in his life, so much so, he couldn't get married until he rightfully declared to the world his allegiance for Jesus. A week later, I had the joy of officiating their wedding. And it was an incredible occasion as we saw God perform a, a miracle before us, the joining of, of two hearts, two bodies becoming one. But I remember the night before the wedding, it was the rehearsal dinner. And after we had finished, Sam walked me to my car and. We were just talking about Jesus, and he began to weep at the very mention of Jesus. And as he talked through the next day and how important it was to him that he had now recognized the need to put Christ in the center of his marriage, he he began to weep at the fact that he said, Jeff, I I wish I would have chosen better groomsmen for this moment. it, It wasn't a shot, he wasn't throwing shade. You see, here's the deal, he recognized in that moment, he said, I wish I would have chosen better friends. Jesus was so precious to Sam, he affects his friendships. So precious to him, he affects his marriage. He had to get baptized before he could be tied to Gabby. He was so precious to Sam that he drove from Oklahoma at dawn on a Sunday morning to make a church service south of Dallas to be baptized. That's how precious Jesus was to Sam. And I think this story creates a need for all of us to ask this question this morning. We should all take a hard look at our own hearts, hold the mirror up and ask this question. Is Jesus the most precious thing to you? Jesus was so precious to a couple in my church uh, that they gifted a young family with a minivan didn't have the means for a new car because they had a growing family. Jesus is so precious to some people in this church that they write scholarship checks to to send kids to the United weekend and in summer camp and mission trips because they wanna sow seeds in the next generation of disciples. Jesus is so precious to the leaders at United weekend that they would volunteer multiple days void of sleep to point students to know and love Christ. Jesus was so precious enough to my pastor in November of 2016 to speak hard truths into my life. He looked at me across the table at a taco casa of all places. I'm like, really? You're about to rip up my soul along the same time that my intestines are gonna be ripped up? And he looks at me and says, Jeff, you've made the mistake of making your ministry more important than your marriage. Is Jesus precious enough to you to speak the truth to others in love? If Jesus is the box for you just to check off because you're here on a Sunday, he's not the most precious thing to you. Pastor and author, John Piper, I think describes it perfectly he poses this critical question for our generation and for all generations for that matter. Here's what he says. He says, if you could have heaven, heaven, with no sickness, with all the friends you've ever had, all the food you've ever liked, praise God, all the hobbies you've ever enjoyed, You can have heaven with all the natural beauties you've ever seen and physical pleasures you've ever tasted. You can have no human conflict, no natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ weren't there? In New Beginnings, let me tell you something. If your answer to that question is anything other than an unequivocal no, then the truth is Jesus is not the most precious thing to you. Jesus is most precious. And now Paul is gonna tell us in the book of Colossians that not only is he most precious, but you've also become a steward of what's most precious. Look at the descriptive language with me in chapter one, verse 25. It says, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Think about this, to receive something on behalf of someone else makes you a steward famous pop artist, Justin Timberlake, hosted the ESPY awards one year for the world's best athletes. And he was gonna present the award, or he was gonna announce who would present the award for best male athlete of the year to Tiger Woods. But but Tiger uh, couldn't be there uh, to accept the award. So the producers thought long and hard about who they could get to come accept the trophy and steward it on behalf of Tiger Woods. And they, they thought long and hard and said the best person we could come up with is Will Ferrell. Really? Actor and comedian. Now at the end of the day, sure, Will gave a hilarious speech. It was a memorable moment. And really what he did was he stewarded the trophy on behalf of Tiger Woods. But it kind of begs the question, like. What does it mean to be a steward? Like, what's that like? Well, verse 29 tells us. You can look at it with me. It says, for this I toil. To toil is to work extremely hard. You know what that means, church? To steward what's most precious is really hard work. And I just wanna let that sit for a second. That's why Paul likens it to a struggle. Look at chapter two, verse one. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Stewarding is a lot like struggling. You know, a variation of the word toil is used more than 15 times in the New Testament. 11 of which come from Paul himself. The first word of encouragement from Jesus to the churches in Revelation actually went to Ephesus. Do you remember what he said to them? Do you remember what he praised them for? He says, I praise them for their toil. So stewarding is hard work, but if you're a steward, it kind of begs the question, how do we do that? What does that look like? How does it play out in our life when we leave the walls of the church and God drops us in our sphere of influence to steward what's most precious, to steward Jesus? I mean, if Christ is most precious and we are to steward what's most precious, how do we do that? Well, the answer is twofold, first, You steward what's most precious by speaking. By speaking. Let's just be honest for a moment. Speaking for some can be scary. If you've ever ever had to be put in a moment to give a public speech and that wasn't for you, you're like, "I, I resonate with how hard that is. That literally is a struggle to have to speak. But the truth is, some of you are built for speaking. Some of you would take my spot right now and not think twice about it. I'll take a mic and say something. We all have that one friend who would share the gospel with a tree. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you can't picture who that is, it's probably you. Right? But for some, it doesn't come easy. I'll never forget the day that uh, I was convinced that I had finally begun to enter manhood. This is post roller coaster moment, students, okay? Because as a 12-year-old, I was about to go to my first ever school dance. Oh, yeah. And there was this girl, and she, ooh, she was cute. She was fine. Her, her name was Melissa. And man, I, I had prepared myself all week to muster up the courage to ask her one simple question. Will you dance with me? Now, everyone knows that at a middle school dance, majority of the night, you got the girls on that side of the room, we got the boys on this side of the room. There's a punch table somewhere in the middle, and the dudes are over here looking across the room at some foreign species, wondering what they're supposed to do. I felt similar, but we all know at the end of the night they play one last song. It's that slow song. Mariah Carey. <laughs> You'll always be my baby. And I start, that swag starts building in me a little bit. And all my boys are hyping me up for this moment. And so I glide across the room, right over to her. But I think we all know she wasn't alone because girls are like wolves, they travel in packs. (laughs) Ladies, you'll never know this fear. You'll never understand it. I have to muster up the courage to ask that question to Melissa in front of all her friends. And I'm, I'm so full of fear, I'm so nervous. I kind of cover my mouth and ramble it off. Melissa, do you, you wanna dance or something? Or something? What else is something? You got like two and a half minutes left, bro. You wanna go to a Cowboys game? I know she heard me, but the audacity of this female in that moment to look at me and say, what'd you say? Look, she heard me. She just wanted all the wolves to hear what I just asked because she wants her friends to share in the moment. And so I look at her and I say, would you like to dance with me? Nobody, prepare me for what happened next. She said yes. And so I am elated. I don't know how to respond. So I turn around and walk off. I'm not leaving her, I'm just going to the dance floor. No one taught a 12 year old how to guide her hand gently out to the floor. No one taught me this. And so I'm, I'm fearful thinking, oh no, is she back with her friends? I turn around, boom, there she was. This is it. This is my moment. I, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know where they go. So I'll put them around her neck. And I realized there's a voice in my head that says, no, you fool, that's too high. And then I realized that's too low. So I've got to find a, a good middle ground and, and we just... We just start doing it, just like this. And the chorus of that song reverberated throughout the gym and all I could hear was, you'll always be my baby. And I looked her deep into the eyes and I thought, she'll always be my baby. And she dumped me the next day for a guy named Colin. So anyway, at the end of the day... I'm well aware of the struggle, the toil of what it feels like to have to speak. And for many of us, that plays out differently. But I think what I'm trying to say is, when it comes to Jesus, you steward him by speaking about him. Look at verse 28 with me. Him we proclaim. How do we do that? Read on. By warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Look at verse 25, Paul says, he stewards what God gave him, how? By making the word of God known. In Philippians, he goes as far to say, it doesn't matter if you speak about it from false motives or pure. As long as Christ is preached, I'm gonna rejoice. So yeah, we know the gospel is preached from this stage, week in and week out, faithfully. We know the gospel is echoed in your life groups But what about your sphere of influence? What happens the other six days of the week? The Bible says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. News flash, new beginnings. People need Jesus. And God wants to use you to speak about him to those people. I had the privilege this weekend of connecting with so many different staff members. And I was blown away at the culture that's been created is continued to be carried at this church, a culture of humility, a culture of submission to the Lord, a culture of unity. It's incredible, guys. I was joking with Amy all weekend long about, hey, how many convos are you at? I was like, I'm at 12. Like every time I turned around, it was a new staff member and I would just hear their story. I wanted to hear about how God wooed them and brought them to be a part of this incredible community. And I'll highlight one of those. I was talking to George Willis, your missions pastor. And George and I struck up a convo. And I'm like, man, so, so how long have you been here on staff, so-and-so? Okay, cool. So w- what church did you serve at before you came here? He was like, there was no church. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, man, let me tell you a story. He said, I like basketball. And I was competing. And there was this other guy that I met, and his name was Todd. And I'm not going to lie, he's pretty athletic. And he was gifted. I said, I, I grew to love him. He was a cool dude, but he never told me he was a pastor though. And he said, man, this is a point in my life where I'm far from God. So you can probably imagine he had some choice words on the court and then later on felt guilty because Todd was a pastor. But at the end of the day, this relationship is struck and what happens? Todd speaks about Jesus and what happens? The Holy Spirit woos George's heart, regenerates him, brings him back from death to life, saves him, calls him out of the corporate world. Next thing you know, he's your missions pastor. But that doesn't happen. All the time, everywhere. It could, but you wanna know why it happened? Because someone was faithful to speak about Jesus. He stewarded what was most precious by speaking about Jesus. The book of Romans is clear in chapter 10. Listen, people can't hear if no one speaks up because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Guys, at the end of the day, here's what it means. Your words matter deeply. L- listen to the words of famed magician Penn Gillette. He's from the famous magician duo from Las Vegas, Penn and Teller. Keep in mind, Penn Gillette's an atheist who said the following. I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Let's just evangelize. Let's speak about Jesus. I don't respect that at all. You believe there's a heaven and hell. People could be going to hell and not get eternal life. And you think it's not really worth telling them this. Why? Because it would make things socially awkward. I wonder if George cares now that it was socially awkward. I doubt it. How much do you have to hate somebody, he says, not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's a good question, which is why we are the steward which most precious by speaking of Jesus. So you steward which most precious by speaking. And you steward what's most precious by suffering. We're gonna finish here this morning. Notice the odd language surrounding the exhortation that Paul gives in verse 24 around the idea of suffering. What does he say? He rejoiced in his suffering. Let's be real, y'all. Like from a secularist perspective, this is incomprehensible. Rejoice in sufferings, that doesn't compute. But the Bible doesn't deviate from this pattern. It's saturated with the truth that we are to rejoice in suffering. Romans 5, 3 speaks of rejoicing in tribulation. 1 Peter chapter 4 says to suffer and rejoice. Acts five forty one says the apostles rejoiced. They were counted worthy to suffer in the first place. Why? Because Paul's sufferings aren't an obstacle for his ministry. They are a tool for it to continue. It's because Jesus is so precious that Paul can rejoice in the suffering. This is why Paul told the church at Philippians, it has been granted on your behalf that you not only believe in him, but that you get to suffer for his sake. And guys, here's the deal. At the end of the day, I think here's what God wants us to know this morning. Suffering brings an immense amount of good to the church. Like for Paul, this is cause for rejoicing. This is why very often the suffering of another brother or sister is a source of great blessing to the church. He's clear, suffering is for the sake of the body of Christ. Notice, he's not highlighting the personal benefits of suffering. He's highlighting the communal benefits to suffering, which begs the question, are you suffering in community? If you're not, can I just plead with you for a moment? Like your next step in your faith this morning is probably for you to take a step of faith and, and jump into a life group head first To connect with the body of Christ. Because your suffering, guys, it's gonna make Jesus real to others around you. Here's why. When you suffer for the sake of Jesus, it's always for the sake of others. One thing this text is teaching us is there's this close identification between Christ and the church when it comes to suffering. Here's what I mean. If you wanna sit with Jesus, then suffer with others. Here's the thing, guys, God's gonna use your suffering to make Jesus real to others. And one of the people I see this beautifully reflected in is a mentor in my life, a spiritual father, a shepherd to my own soul. His name's Kevin Hill. Kevin sees the sufferings of Jesus in his life as a gift. I wanna introduce you to Kevin and his special needs son named Grant. Here's Grant's diagnosis. Grant's 25 years old and he has severe autism. But he operates at about a three-year-old level developmentally. He has cerebral palsy. His fine motor skills are affected so he can't walk on his own. Grant can't speak. He has cortical blindness. Grant has epilepsy. Two to three seizures a night, every night for the last 25 years. And Kevin and his sweet wife, Elizabeth, have to get up every time in the middle of the night to make sure that he's okay and breathing. Grant requires 24-7 care around the clock. He needs full assistance to be fed, full assistance to be clothed, full assistance to be bathed, and through all of it, here's Kevin's response when I asked him about it. He says, Grant's the sweetest person I've ever met. He's the toughest person I've ever met. An absolute joy to spend my life with. He's changed me in so many ways, I can't even fathom. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd say yes in a heartbeat. This relationship for Kevin has been one of God's sweetest reminders in his life of how sufferings draw him into such deeper union with Christ. New beginnings, even when you can't see it, suffering does for others what the best sermon cannot. My wife, Sarah, lost her mom to brain cancer at the age of 12. The sufferings of Jesus can sustain a 12-year-old who is motherless. Her suffering Matters. When I think about Corrie ten Boom, only the sufferings of Christ could make a Nazi concentration camp survivable. Her sufferings matter. I'll never forget the first time in ministry when my abstract view of suffering became a little more concrete. When my formal understanding became a little more functional. I was called away from my family on Christmas Eve to an emergency room in Dallas because a car ran off the road and ran over one of my students. Staring into the eyes of a helpless father. I saw a man desperately trying to figure out how to move on after his son's funeral. The sufferings of Jesus are so deep they can sustain a person through the loss of their own child. If you wanna curl up into the lap of Jesus, just crawl down into the hole of suffering with somebody else. One time I arrived at a home of a student whose father had just pointed a gun at his head and pulled the trigger, ending his life. Jesus became more real to that boy and his mother than ever before. Their suffering matters. There are couples who are currently probably in this church struggling to get pregnant. It's the sufferings of Christ that can sustain a barren womb. Your suffering matters. It was October 18th, 2019. My youngest daughter's birthday, Stella. And so I did what any dad does that cares about the health of his child. I took her to get donuts. Her older sister missed out because she was in school because Stella wasn't in school yet at this time. So when her sister came home, she was jealous and wanted to share in the fun. So I decided to redeem my health choices as a father. I took both of them to get ice cream that night. They were so elated, y'all, because the next day was their joint birthday party. Their, their birthday was only five days apart. So every year we we do a joint birthday because it just seems more special. At least that's what we tell them, really it's to save money. But this year was gonna be extra special because we were gonna host it at the Shadow Creek Pumpkin Farm. All kinds of activities for kids, all their friends would be there, all of our friends will be there. Well, late that night, the night before their party, my family had an emergency because my wife, Sarah, miscarried the child. that was in her womb. We were discharged the next morning at dawn, the day of our daughter's birthday. Sarah couldn't even go to her own daughter's birthday party because it felt like her flesh was splitting in two. I had to go alone and I had to relive it over and over. Every time somebody asked me, where's Sarah? Felt like my heart was being ripped out of my chest. But let me tell you something. It was in that season of suffering that we were brought into such deeper union with Christ. Our suffering matters. And I think something we need to let sit a little deeper in all of us this morning is that your sufferings aren't some chasm between you and God. They're a catalyst toward his presence to remind you that he's not left you, that he's right there with you in the midst of all of it. And that your sufferings point to a suffering servant who took on everything you could possibly imagine. Because he who knew no sin became sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. It's the news that changes lives. And and here in a moment, it's news that all of us get a chance to respond to in various ways. And so I I just wanna invite our decision encouragers, to go ahead and just, would you just make your way down to the room? And we just wanna position them appropriately to to receive what the Lord could be doing in your heart. I love that when the gospel goes forth, it doesn't return void. It necessitates a response, but that response looks different for each of us. Pastor Todd alluded to this earlier. And here's the thing. Now is a defining moment for all of us and how we respond to the gospel. Some of you, have heard the good news of Jesus, that Christ suffered on your behalf, and you know it's the thing that's been holding you back. It's a, for you, you've seen it as an obstacle. But all along, it's God wooing you into his presence, and he wants you to enter into relationship with him. If that's you, here in a moment, we want you to respond accordingly and stand up so these encouragers can come to you, pray with you, and then celebrate next steps, which, by the way, is baptism which brings me to my next step. There are some in this room who have been following Christ and you've neglected to take that next step in your faith, which is walking through the waters of baptism. Hear me out, baptism doesn't save you, Jesus does. Baptism is a reflection, it's a picture of what Christ has done in your life, bringing you back from death to life. And so today, some of you will get the opportunity, like Sam, before you take any other step in your life, much less marriage, to say, I'm gonna declare to the world my allegiance to Jesus because he's the most precious thing in my life. I'm done putting it off. You don't have to wait till next week. I I love that this church has taken every step necessary to remove any obstacles that would prevent you from doing that. What about clothes? They've got them for you, they're free. They're gonna give you clothes. They have towels. And so this is it. For those who wanna boldly say, I want Jesus. I wanna follow him. I need a relationship with him. Or for those who have said, I'm ready to be baptized. Or maybe you were baptized as a kid. But but it didn't happen post-salvation. As an encouragement to the body of Christ. We're calling all those who have heard the gospel to respond. If that's you across the room right now, wherever you are, would you just stand up? so we can celebrate with you, amen. Yes, amen. Anybody else? We just wanna make our way over to you right now. Like, we just wanna come towards you to encourage you wherever you are. Like, some of you could be wrestling with this right now. Like, what does this look like in my life? Do Do I really walk down in front of all these people and take this next step? Yes. It's what Jesus desires of us to encourage the rest of us in the room. And so here in a moment, like we're gonna respond through song. And if the Lord is still wrestling with you in that way, like we just wanna encourage you to find one of these decision encouragers, come down so they can pray with you and point you to Christ. And we can go right now, celebrate God's work in your life and be baptized. Now to the rest of us in the room, I think it was God's kindness to woo you in here this morning. Because some of us find ourselves in seasons of suffering. But the truth is, you've been suffering alone. And suffering has communal benefits because your suffering should be a source of great blessing to the rest of us. And we just want you to know that wherever you are in this room, we see you. You're not alone but can I just ask you to do nothing more than this, not come down, not leave, wherever you are in the room, if if that's you and God has you in a season of suffering, would you encourage the rest of us and just stand right now wherever you are? So much. Can we just take a moment and let you know your suffering matters? Can we just encourage you and let you know that your suffering is not without purpose? Yeah. Your suffering matters. And it's not without purpose. Your suffering matters greatly thank you so much, what a source of great blessing you are to the rest of us. Your suffering matters. And so the only thing I could think of for us to do to respond appropriately is to to exhibit a tangible expression of the love of Christ that surrounds you right now. So for those who are nearby or seated, if someone is standing near you, whether or not you know them, would you just make your way over to them and would you take a moment and just lay a hand on? right now. We're not gonna wait or delay because we want them to know in the midst of their season of suffering, they are not alone. Maybe this is your first time in church in a while. We're so glad you're here. This is what church looks like. Brothers and sisters who wanna sit with you who wanna curl up into the lap of Jesus by crawling down into the hole of your own suffering. And so here's what we're gonna do. On the count of three, wherever you are, we're just gonna pray out loud. Whether or not you know him, we're gonna pray that God would meet them in the midst of their suffering and that his presence would be enough for them because he's he's that good. Out loud, wherever you are. One, two, three. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much. You love us too much to leave us where we are, but you love us enough to meet us in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the storm, to remind us that our suffering is not met without hope because hope has a name and the name is Jesus because Jesus, you were the most precious thing in this life. Oh God, would you give us the grace to steward you well in this short earthly life by speaking of your goodness and by suffering in community so that we might make much of you so that you, Jesus, through our sufferings could be made real to a dark and desperate world around us. Would you be so kind to do that? Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your character. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for what you're doing right now. I pray these things in the most precious name of Jesus. All God's people said.